This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to be with you today. Matt and Brett. Yeah, that's him. You forgot my uh, <laughs> forgot who I was for a while. I actually did that with Rick Hansen. My daughter was there. And it's like, is this Representative Rick? Okay, why? Why? <laughs> why am I not remembering that? Hansen, that's it. Yeah, it's because it's, it's such a strange and unique name in Minnesota. Uh, Brett is producing for us. Uh, coming up a little bit later on, uh, Becky Rahm is going to join us uh, from Save the Boundary Waters. They've got some good news as they have thrown out that twin medals story. And by the way, can I tell you one thing I'm happy with? After years of us begging the news media to finally call it what it is, Antifagasta, the Chilean mining company, because that's what it is. It's Antifagasta. It's not, hey, Mabel, let's start an old mine over here. (laughs) It's not a mom and pop shop. It's Antifagasta. It's one of the largest mining conglomerates in the planet, they finally, finally start saying that. So, yay, go team, go. Um, the Brett, um, all right, I got to ask you, first of all, a question here before we get into this story. Can I say the word poop? Well, I think we can. Yeah, can we, we? We already let the cat out of the bag just a well, second well, ago, well, so well, uh, we have to. <laughs> Oopsies. Uh, starting off today, it's always a pleasure when I get to start off with <clears throat> the poop report. <laughs> oh, God. Um First of all, I have to start off with this plane because what happened here? Footage has emerged of the onboard medical emergency that forced U.S. airliner back to Atlanta for only two hours into its flight into Spain as a trail of diarrhea was left by one struggling passenger. What in the world? Maintenance crew spent five hours cleaning the Delta Airlines Airbus. Not enough. Nope, not enough. Nope, not not even close. Not even close. Have you seen the pictures of this? That's five hours. Five, That's not, not even close. Not. I can tell you right now. Get in there and steam clean it again. Just get zero res out there. They're gonna need. You're gonna need zero res. All right. <laughs> uh, they had to replace the aisle carpeting. Passengers reported, including one uh, that the one suffered diarrhea, were allowed to reboard after an eight-hour delay. Okay, so th- this is kind of weird. I can't quite figure out. Accounts of some on board described the flight crew doing their best to clean up the mess. Basically, it uh, you know they they didn't you know, they weren't able to do it too well. Another described cabin crew placed a a, a paper runner over the aisle. Basically, it, it it didn't help. They ended up having to turn around. They 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 uh, they. they they basically went back and got off the plane in Atlanta. An audio recording of the conversation between the pilot and air traffic controller reviewed the reason for the jet's turnaround. It's just a biohazard issue. The pilot, we have a passenger who had basically diarrhea all the way through the plane, then they wanted to come back to Atlanta. Um, Delta Airlines blamed the onboard medical issue. Our teams are worked quickly and safely to possibly get our customers in their final destination. We sincerely apologize for this. Hey, uh, I, I, I don't blame necessarily Delta here. I'm actually, got to tell you the truth, I'm very concerned about this person because this is not, unless this was just some 
bruh, who just took a bet. It's like, I bet you can't do this. <laughs> and then it ends up, you know, quite literally blowing up all over the plane. I, you know, I don't, I didn't, can't even comprehend the level of illness that you would have to have for what, the, what happened on this plane. I, and I, I'm like, seriously, like we need to rehydrate you. I mean, it was that bad. I, as a parent, Brett, I, every one of us has one poop story. And I'll, I'll, and, and I'll, and was Charlie, he was a little kid. I'm sure he's going to be happy. I sure. Well, see, I hope he's not listening. Nah, he's fine. You know, fine. But he was a little kid, right? We went to get his audio, uh, his ears tested. When he was just, you know, he was like about eight months old. So I'm in this room. Now I go in, it's, it's, it's a pediatric audiology clinic. So there's, you know, like pictures of, of, of like turtles and the alphabet and blocks and stuff. There's one little round table in the middle and that's it. And basically there is, you know, these, these individual sound booths. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. And, and, you know, we go through the audio test and all of a sudden I notice, well, I think he just had a little, a little accident here can i you know can i use this table out here in the main area can i change him here because she goes there's no changing they haven't put the changing stations into the bathrooms there so i said just go ahead and i said thank you i don't know what my son ate i mean presuming it was an old country buffet stop that i did not pay attention to but it was voluminous to say the least and i looked into my diaper bag one wipe <laughs> no! <laughs> I am looking around. I am looking at holy. It looks like a Delta flight to Barcelona. I mean, that's what it, I mean. It's I. I. Oh my God. I. I. By the way, survived. Got through that too. I'm just picturing uh, well one of your favorite movies, planes, trains, and automobiles, where he gets out of the shower with the one little, <laughs> little square top. I was a master wiper that day. Oh, I could have become the Olympics could have hired if there was a competition for that I would have been hired. So yeah, I, I actually though, I mean, the, the, what what my son went through, and, and by the way, if you have kids, you know exactly. You, we all have one story. Um, what this describes and what I saw here, I mean, I I can't even comprehend what this is. I mean, I'm like really concerned. I'm shocked they let this guy get on the plane. You know, hey, I've eaten Arby's too, but, you know, sorry, 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 sorry. Arby's doesn't deserve that. Arby's doesn't deserve. Why am I being like that? It's, 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 it's just not right. Like Taco Bell. Would Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're Taco Bell. You're going to do that on a plane. Yeah, six a pack in a pound, I see. No, sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. We always have to have dignity here when we have the poop report. Speaking of which, uh, let's get a little closer to us than Barcelona or Atlanta. Classes of the West Metro, West Metro High School have been canceled Wednesday due to a sewage backup. Officials say classes will resume on Thursday, today. Armstrong High School in Plymouth posted a message about the cancellation on its website. The primary concern at the time is possible contamination from sewage, as well as a very bad smell in some parts of the building, said Principal Eric Norby. Needless to say, it's a huge disappointment that that couldn't have happened at a worse time. The school said buildings B and C are affected, including the kitchen and the dish room. Yum. Who wants school lunch? It's free. After school activity scheduled in building A. And an update this afternoon, the school representative told WCCO Television that the officials believe the backup was caused in part by vape pens. 
how many vape pens are being flushed at Armstrong High School to where vape pens are part of the problem? Well, there's, there's your problem right there. It's a vape pen blockage. Seriously, how many vape pens? How many vape pens are being flushed at Armstrong High School? Dear Lord. First of all, I don't, I don't need to explain, I guess, the physics of water management that, you know, solid objects. Well, never mind. You just started school. You just started school. How do you have this many vape pens down the, 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 the can? You're not, you guys aren't flushing vape pens, vape pens here. Is this something new? Is this something the kids are into? Oh, I could see that like on TikTok mm-hmm. as the, the vape pen toilet challenge. I don't know. Well, they How do many that can you one flush chip challenge, you know. It's yeah. a, no, by the way, the one chip challenge might actually explain both of these stories. Uh, the <laughs> Think about it for a second. Okay. First of all, I think we, we can honestly say Armstrong High School has a serious vaping problem. If those are the ones in the toilet. Dear Lord. All right. Good luck with all that. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, I want to um, call out the news media once again. The um, I, I've... It is somewhat shocking to me, or not shocking, I guess, is <sighs> there is just an insane amount of bias in the media right now. I'll give you the consummate example of this. Joe Biden's age. Oh, my God. Joe Biden's age. 80. He's Hey, oh my God, he can't. Why are we even thinking of putting him in the White House? Why not that young, spry, 77-year-old who's on the other side? When was the last time you heard any news story reference, you know, Johnny KFC over there at 77? By the way, think about that for a second. Talk about disasters on planes going to Barcelona. That man is 77 years old, and he still primarily eats fast food. Think about that. Oh, no. (laughs) This flight's not going as I anticipated. This is is why I have all those documents in the bathroom. You never know. (laughs) Now we know the truth. We know the truth. The boxes of documents. That was just in case he ran out of toilet paper. He just—you got to be prepared there. Well, then he can't sell any state secrets anymore. Well, <laughs> meanwhile, in the sewer system of Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> I think we found something, comrade. <laughs> we we have to get this cleaned up. But this looks like something about foreign troop movements. Yeah, we can use this. Ah. Uh, what was, was the last time anyone talked about Donald Trump's age? He's 77, and he still is pounding down the quarter pounders. He doesn't look... I know your fan fiction images of him have him ripped like, you know, you know, you know it's Conan the Barbarian, but no, he's not. He's, he's, he's looking his age. 
As a matter of fact, two and two fifteen. What concerns do we have? Six. I thought he was six eight and one ninety. Looking like he isn't he starting for the Kansas City Chiefs tonight? I mean, I'm looking forward to that game. (laughs) Oh, didn't realize you could fill out police documents on your own. Anyway, the reality is, is this: is that Joe Biden is a little bit older than Donald Trump, but not by much. And from everything I've seen, Joe Biden's a heck of a lot more physically fit than Donald Trump is. But yet the news media fails us consistently. The reason I'm bringing this up is Raising One Brow, who who posts stuff up on Twitter and and puts out some good stuff there. He made this post. Uh, This is from Huffington Post Politics. A new poll suggests most Americans think Joe Biden got involved in his son's business deals with Ukraine and Chinese nationals. Wow. Now, what, and by the way, raising one brow's narrative, you know, quote on this one is narrator without evidence. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no evidence of any of this happening. Now, I could point out where's the coverage of Donald Trump because Donald Trump, I don't need to try to un- unmask some mysterious connections between China and Trump. His daughter got copyrights in trademarks in China, which is next to impossible for American citizens to get. And nobody batted an eye, not a single person batted an eye when she got those. And no one wants to look at those. That's not some mysterious connection and laundering money through organizations and businesses. No, that's just, hey, you want some cash? Here you go. That's China. So we could point out the fact that the news media has failed. If this is a story, if you think this is a story, then it's the, the case. But I want to point this out on how this shows you how the failure of our news media, because I got, by the way, I got a doozy for you coming up next hour. A freaking doozy of one. There used to be a time you would have asked this question because the question is dishonest. How many of you think the sky is purple? Why would you even ask that question? The sky's not purple. The sky's blue. That's the color of the sky. You going out and asking a question where you already know the question is flawed. The news journalism in this country is basically no better than a freaking Twitter poll at this point. That's all it is. Can you imagine what... What the news media, if today existed back at World War II, the Germans could be influencing the living daylights out of the media. You know, the, the U.S. government says that the Germans killed the Jews, but did they really, or was it Roosevelt? That's what they'd be like. And it, as you say to me, oh my God, that's ludicrous. This is ludicrous. For God's sakes, we had just had a year, a year of Republicans talking about we got the smoking gun. And every time they say they got the smoking gun, they've got nothing. Even they have said they don't have any evidence. And instead of reporting that, there is no evidence to this. Or at least asking the question, even though there is no evidence of any connection between Joe Biden. No. Do you think Joe Biden was behind China and Ukraine? What are you doing? I mean, the People's Choice Awards have more credibility than this crap at this point. Adam Sandler again, you say. <laughs> <It> just, 
and nothing gets Adam Sandler. I've, a few of his movies actually are really, really good. So that uh, you know, give Adam Sandler. I mean, really good actually. One I just watched that one where he's the uh, uh, the, the diamond dealer. So very very entertaining. But you no, know, I. This is a problem because it shouldn't take like in 2006 where bodies were floating through the streets of New Orleans for the news media to say maybe the George W. Bush administration is not telling us the truth. It shouldn't take a, a court hearing of, you know, Saddam Hussein or, you know, Osama bin Laden determined to strike in the United States having a briefing titled that for realizing maybe they're not telling us the truth. It shouldn't take the Capitol being stormed by angry idiots before you realize, well, maybe we shouldn't have fanned the flames of this. You guys are part of the problem because you're not even doing due diligence and asking legitimate questions. You're just asking, you're, you're at best, at best, being dishonest to try to keep this election as close as possible so you get as much campaign spending for your economic side or at worst, you're just taking questions from the freaking Republican Party and asking them as news. It's one of the two. And needless to say, you should be ashamed of yourselves because this crap is getting old real fast. Occasionally, after time, they finally figure out, well, maybe we shouldn't be re referring to it as the local company, but maybe the large international mining conglomerate. Yeah, maybe you should. But sometimes... Yeah, like I, said, I just, how do you even ask that question? How does a polling agency ask that question if you're not looking for a skewed answer? That's just disturbing. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Just dishonesty. It is. And there, this is in the, we're, this is the beginning of it. Because until, until they're burning the Capitol down, that's when the news media will say, wait a second here. Maybe we should be a little more critical. Do you think? Because I can tell you right now, the journalists of the past would go in there and kick your asses in the news media. Every one of you would kick your asses because you're not doing your job. If you think you're spotlight or you think you're all the president's men, you're 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 basically classified art, you know, classified section, you know, order takers. That's all you guys are. You're not doing your job. And if I can see it, well. I know that you'll use that as an argument. It's like, we're doing my job. The liberal guy thought we were doing a bad job. No, you're doing a bad job because you're doing a bad freaking job. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We'll take a break, come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Should mention... Peter Navarro has been found guilty of contempt of Congress for not uh, showing up when he was subpoenaed, although he still claims that he's an innocent thing. No, you, you got to show up. And he didn't. And that was the case. If I can, there are still a few good journalists out there. Scott McFarlane over at, at CBS News. The, the dude gets the January 6th docket at the courthouse in, in D.C., most other journalists get this and just threw it away. McFarlane has done an exceptional job. He has been on top of this all, and he keeps giving us the best updates on this because it's just enjoyable. Now, once again, he was the big day there because Navarro, they they closed, he didn't even present any witnesses in his defense. 
He basically just, you know, was quiet there and was in four hours. Four hours. Didn't take exactly. That's with lunch. <laughs> that's, that's getting some subs. You're getting some subs, then you'll debate. So two hours. Uh, also today, um, the sentencing of Ken Schultz happened. I'll get to him in a second. But the one that I want to really talk about is uh, Zach Allum. Now, you we all know who Zach Allum is. You might not know his name directly. Do you remember the clown that was punching through the window in the the, the at the U.S. House Chambers that when um, they they shot that traitor in the hallway that was trying to climb through the window? There was one guy there that kept punching the window there. That's Zachy, and Zachy is um, you know he yeah he's in a little bit of trouble to say the least. Um. Uh, let me go to Schultz here. Uh, Ken Schultz is being sentenced. Schultz was among the group of mob that per, uh, pursued the Capitol officer, Eugene Goodman. By the way, one of the bravest people you'll ever see. He was the guy that you know basically lured these guys away from the senators as they were evacuating. Uh, he didn't get the biggest sentence. He got, what, a, a month in in confinement, but he can still get released to go work at the library remotely for a month. And then he's on 18 months of probation. So it, it's it's not like I don't think he attacked anyone per se, and he didn't do that. He you know, and, and the argument there, but he also, um, you know, he also basically was guilty of being there, and you know, thank God that officer was there to drag him away from the other people because he might have ended up being guilty of a lot more. One of the lighter sentences, but still, he's one of those guys. When you see that when Goodman was facing down with that crowd, he was the he was one of those guys. Um, Courtroom 14, defendant Zach Allen's trial just began. Capitol Police witnesses poised to enter and testify. Allen allegedly uh, sought to smash windows of House Speaker lobby near Ashley Babbitt. That traitor. Um, basically, so, yeah, so th- that's going on now. So we should, we, I'm presuming that's going to be a quick one because you got a lot of video footage of him smashing the window. This is not exactly a, a mystery on this trial. He has been, by the way, he has been wildly belligerent. He has been wildly belligerent during his entire case. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it, yeah, it will be interesting to see where, where things go there uh, in regards to, to that. Um, the, where was, there was one more that was today as well. Sean McHugh. Sean McHugh is one of the guys that you see outside spraying bear spray at the cops. He was, he was, you know, the bear spray works at, what, 40, 40 meters? He was at, like, 10 meters, and he was hitting the cops right in the face with the bear spray. Uh, oh, excuse me, 30, oh, excuse me, th- I said 40 meters, 30 feet. He was 10 feet, excuse me, my correction. McHugh in an orange jumpsuit at the defense tables, questioning how the $7,300 raid for him by the arrest of McHugh was used. McHugh says his family traveled to court, emergency expenses, Christmas gifts for the kids. He judged then basically fines him $5,000 on top of that, so that's part of that money. Um, the defendant was at the very center of the riot and the mob action. Judge Bates talks about the magnitude of the harm caused McHugh on January 6th about McHugh's bear spray use. Judge said McHugh could have instead just walked away instead of pressing ahead amid the mob. Uh, just as prosecutors has, uh, Judge mentions McHugh was part of the breach of police lines. Judge, he was a verbal leader of the confrontation. He brought a megaphone to presumably help that effort. He then utilized the megaphone to urge riot, uh, rioters on and to abuse police. Uh, Judge Bates about the bear spray used by McHugh. It's hazardous to use on humans. It's capable of causing irre- irre- irreversible eye damage. Um, 
He took pride then in what he did. He bragged about it on social media. But once again, as he's in the courtroom now, and he's blubbering. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you were a big talk before. And that, once again, it's not like you were big talk the day. For months after this, all you guys were talking big about how you sent a message. And now all of a sudden, it's coming back to haunt you. McHugh is going to jail for 78 months, which is what? Uh, six years and a little, six and a half years? Six and a half years? Um, he used an exceptionally dangerous weapon against police in the Capitol siege. So he's going to he's going to jail. So good news. You've got one guy, the one guy that was following the officer that was leading him away. He got, he, he's been sentenced. Uh, he basically is being held like in a halfway house for a month and then 18 months of probation. McHugh basically for using bear spray, six and a half years. The psychopath that was breaking the window in the house and he is nuts. He's an anti-American traitor zealot for sure. He's going to, he could face up to 40 years because you got him dead to rights breaking the windows in the Capitol. Um, yet him. And then of course, Navarro, because this is all part of it too. He refused to testify. He has been found in contempt of Congress on two counts. His sentencing will come, but he's a guilty man. He's also an anti-American jackass. 952-946-6205. When we do return, Becky Rom's going to join us from Save the Boundary Waters. Uh, she is, uh, I imagine we're going to be having a good time because of the court ruling from yesterday. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205. is the phone number. It is uh, my pleasure to welcome back to the show Becky Rom with uh, Save the Boundary Waters. Uh, she is kind enough to join us today on what is a big day yesterday, in case you missed the story. U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper basically threw out the, uh, the lawsuit uh, by the Twin Metals, Minnesota, and as we should actually call them, Antofagasta, the large international mining conglomerate out of Chile, of Chile, threw out their lawsuit, basically writing that the court lacks jurisdiction over two of the Twin Metals claims and the remaining two failed to state any claims. So there is nothing to claim there. Needless to say, it got thrown out. This is looking like it might be the end of this 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 farce, but still at the same time, it is it is good news for sure, for sure. Becky, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. Matt, thank you for inviting me on. I'm happy to talk to you. Okay, first of all, talk about this. This was a lawsuit. This is basically, it was a Hail Mary anyway. I mean, when it was described, Twin Metals, uh, when the, the federal government under Joe Biden basically said, no, we're not going to allow these mines to go forward. And as a matter of fact, put a moratorium, I think, of 20 years on this area that we can't even consider this, that they were trying to find some way. They, their argument was, well, we've already put this money in, so we need to actually go ahead with this mine. Uh, it, w- it was a weak argument in the first place, Correct. I think so. Uh, I I felt all along that we had an excellent case uh, to get uh, this lawsuit thrown out. But I want to just say one thing, Matt. Um, This was a big victory yesterday. No question uh, about that, because Twin Metals was trying to get federal mining leases in the watershed of the Boundary Waters. It was trying to push forward with new mining, mining leases in addition to the two that were canceled. And it was trying to get its mine plan moving forward. But all of that is now dead for now. Mm-hmm. But the real goal that we all seek <clears throat> is to permanently protect the watershed of the Boundary Waters. Yesterday was a step 
toward that, but we still have a lot of work to do to get Congress and the Minnesota legislature to pass legislation to permanently ban mining in this place. Um, you are up in Ely. Um, you yes. you see the natural beauty. I was, by the way, I was up in your lovely town earlier this year. I do enjoy Ely quite a bit uh, and uh, went up into the Boundary Waters a little bit myself. The there still is a lot to work to do because one of the things that's been really interesting I've noticed today, just in some of the responses I've had to posting this story, is people coming out saying, well, this is dishonest. It's not in the boundary waters. It's next to the boundary waters. And the first thing I keep saying to myself is, okay, do you guys not understand water, air, and earth and how all this stuff works? It, it just, it's remarkable that, that the amount of people that that feel like you can you can – you know, I guess, you know, burn everything right up to the border and nothing's going to cross over into it. And it just, it's ludicrous. And it shows us we still have a lot of education we have to do here, even in Minnesota. Yes. I think what's confusing for some people is that the water flows north yes. here. The watershed of the Boundary Waters flows to Hudson Bay. Um, this proposed mine was just outside the Boundary Waters, in the headwaters of the Boundary Waters, along rivers and streams that would have flowed directly into the Boundary Waters, heading north. And, and it's, uh, there's no question but that the science and our experience with hard rock minings around the United States have shown us that all of these mines degrade water quality. Yes. And there was no magic solution that was being provided by Twin Metals. But you're absolutely right. It's watershed science. Water flows downhill. In this case, that downhill is north, directly into the Boundary Waters. And one of the deposits was immediately adjacent to the wilderness. So it's very close to the wilderness. And and can I ask a question here about mining? I know, I'm, I know you've been researching this more. The concern I would have is with any mine putting themselves, even if you were outside the Boundary Waters, you know, kind of the idea of, well, you can go down, but could you go towards the boundary waters? I understand that they say, oh, well, no, we got some restrictions on that. But, you know, that's kind of how mining is and, and, and oil gathering and stuff like that's always gone. It's not just what's right underneath where the well or the mine is. They generally have a tendency of going, you know, in a lot of different directions once they get underground. Well, yes, groundwater also flows. And here the, wa the groundwater flows by fractures and fissures because there were giant uh, glaciers on top of this hard gabbro rock that we have. And so the groundwater flows every which way. Mm -hmm. But the surface water, and oftentimes the groundwater then escapes to the surface, but Birch Lake, South Kuishui River, these gorgeous, beautiful uh, water bodies just outside the wilderness, they flow into the wilderness. So if you pollute Birch Lake, if you pollute the South Kuishui River, that pollution will flow into the Boundary Waters. And what the Forest Service said was that once the Boundary Waters experiences water pollution, it, it they will be unable to mitigate it or fix it because it's a wilderness. Mm -hmm. You can't put a water treatment facility on 1,200 lakes mm -hmm. that have no roads to them. It's over. And so that's why it's so important to go outside of the wilderness boundaries and understand how ecosystems work and how water flows so you can make wise decisions about where you allow this kind of mining.
I, uh, by the way, you say that, and I remember some of the early arguments you had from some of these stooges, I'll use the term stooges, that were trying to argue for, well, this is not a big deal. You can still fish. There's plenty of lakes nowhere near this that are going to be fine, even if there was a problem. Like, that was a good argument. And it's like, you know, it was like, oh, God, you know, it, 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 when you're, you're even your own argument is basically hoping that people are stupid to basically get your point across. It's it's not there. But this is as well. It, it should be mentioned in something you and I've talked we talked about before. This type of mining has never been done environmentally safe. So when any mine or any organization or any international mining conglomerate says, this time we're going to be sure, they're lying because it's never been done safe. Right. And, it, and this is unusual because the proposed site for Twin Metals, it's not only immediately upstream of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area wilderness, but it's also upstream of Quetico Park, yeah. which is also a wilderness. And it's also upstream of Voyager National Park. And so you have three protected landscapes, really important areas for Minnesotans and Americans that are put at risk for what we understand to be an insignificant amount of copper, nickel, and related minerals, all of which was reduced to a metal concentrate according to Twin Metals, would be shipped to China for processing. Yep. So it's not even for the United States. Nope. It would go on the world market sold from these processing facilities in Asia. Well, and and that's also part of the problem. Is And I mentioned Antifagast earlier. It's We have to stop thinking about this like it's it's the 18, 1849 with the 49ers. This is not mom and pop organizations, you know, a guy that's just coming up here and, you know, with his pickaxe going into the ground. That just doesn't exist. Pretty much the, the we know who the big players are in international mining, Canadians, Europeans, uh, Antifagasta, the Chinese. They generally do the same thing over and over again. They create a front company to try to make it look like a mom and pop organization that we're just trying to do this. We're trying to be good Minnesotans when the reality is it's all being controlled. I think there's just the type of mining here. Isn't it a fair assessment to say that there is no way a really a small town local operation could do something like this, considering the nature of what's required to do this? It has to be an international mining conglomerate, correct? Yes. Yeah. So if it's proposed again, it just, you know, start looking about who's funding who at this point, because it, I guarantee it's probably not local. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's definitely not local. And you're right about the tricks that these companies play. But at the end of the day, we polluted mine site and polluted downstream waters and land, maybe a Superfund site, uh, and Twin Metals goes bankrupt. Its only asset will be a polluted mine site. Mm -hmm. Antifagasta's deep pockets are protected by the way they set up a shell entity that they claim is headquartered in Ely. Well, and 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 that is, and we should also go back. I remember under Tim Pawlenty, he was trying to he was trying to get through, and I think he actually, if they were able to change this, but the oopsie law, as I like to call it, where he basically said you can't hold a company responsible as long as they come out and say oopsie before you know it's found out, and that then that's on the taxpayers. And we, I remember ripping on him back then, saying you know that's a really bad standard. That's not something that's a, a really good thing. That you really are. 
you're creating just the, you know, we're going to pollute everything, just yell oopsie and then run out the state and then you're off the hook. Uh, you know, there's a lot of elements here that have no problem in destroying the boundary waters and then putting the bill for it to clean it up on the taxpayers of Minnesota. Right. Mm. Right. The, the, let, you know, and once again, Becky Rahm's joining us. This is the national chair for Save the Boundary Waters. L- let's talk about the future. Right now, we, we, of course, you know, Joe Biden has basically said, we've set us out, I believe it's 20 years where this can't be developed. And so that's good news. But, you know, that's generally, for the most part, it's only good as the next president is and the next party of the president and, and who's bankrolling that. The, uh, you know, we, we talk about the, these companies that are coming in here. You know, there. This is not over by any means because now that they know that stuff is there, there's always going to be this pressure point, this this desire, kind of similar to what you see up in Alaska with the 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 the, the, um, the, the natural areas up there where they're trying to get the oil out of the ground. That there's always going to be people out there trying to push to develop these areas into you know mines or 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 wells or whatever the case may be. And so this this fight is nowhere near over, correct? Well. Uh, it will be over if we can get permanent pre- protection through legislation from Congress for federal lands and permanent protection by legislation through the Minnesota legislature for state lands. Mm-hmm. That's our goal. But you're right. Until then, the Boundary Waters remains vulnerable. And we have to continue our campaign and our work to try to uh, protect it and make sure that what you're suggesting doesn't happen. Uh, so we're we're working closely with Congresswoman Betty McCollum in Washington D.C. We have teams uh, that go out to Washington to advocate for the Boundary Waters. Regular people, volunteers from Minnesota, many of them from Northern Minnesota, virtually every month, and we've been doing that for ten years. Going out there, telling our stories, why this is such a special place that should be protected, why copper nickel mining in the headwaters is a real and serious threat, what the science says about this, what public health impacts would be about it, what the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and Y campers say about it. You know, we are working hard to get the, to get legislation passed. And if that there is a single message from this call, I would say help us to everybody in Minnesota. Keep it up. We need to get legislation passed. So as you say, Matt, the next president Donald Trump comes back into power, doesn't try to wipe out the protections that we finally achieved uh, just this past year with the Biden administration. God forbid. Well, can I ask you a question? This is this might be a little off topic here, but kind of just and I don't know if you're if you know the the nuances of this. Uh, The Voyagers is a national park. Boundary Waters Canoe Area, for the most part, is not. It's uh, it's a, a wilderness area. If if where someone was to upgrade this into a national park status, would that be the end of it right there? No. No, we're not. So wilderness is actually a higher status than parks. Uh, uh, Wilderness is like a zoning overlay that goes over national parks, national forests, uh, uh, wildlife refuges, and BLM lands. And it takes it to a level where uh, it it is to remain untrammeled by men. So we have more protection. We have uh, as much protection for this wilderness area itself as is, a, is possible under U.S. law. The Boundary Waters is also protected because it has this very special classification under the Clean Water Act that prohibits any water quality degradation in the Boundary Waters. Having said that, it doesn't protect the lands and waters 
immediately outside the wilderness, uh, either under the Wilderness Act or under the Clean Water Act. And yet, what happens when you step outside the wilderness will impact what happens inside the wilderness when you're talking about a large industrial activity. And so we that's why we have to really upgrade the headwaters of the boundary waters, make mining off limits in the entire headwaters of the boundary waters permanently. The can I ask one question and and I I don't want I don't want to upset you because I'm I'm going to propose something here, but I think I already know what the answer is going to be. So I'll just I'll, let me say this. Say we allowed mining to happen, but we put in airtight, ironclad rules that said no more LLCs, that Antofagasta or any international mining conglomerate that wanted to do this was responsible for any cleanup of the mess that they created, that there was no way that they could get out of it. Would any of them even offer to try to build a mine anymore, or would would that be an admission, well, there's no way we can do this because we're not going to keep it clean, and it would cost us far more than we'd ever get out of the ground to you know clean up any mess we made? So would that pretty much end it right there, any kind of discussion about this in the future? I don't think so, Matt. And no. the reason I say that is it misses the point of what uh, of the of the risk and damage to the boundary waters. It's not that there can't be enough money to clean it up. It's that it can't be cleaned up. Okay. So we have a very unique uh, water chemistry up here. It is uh, extraordinarily vulnerable because it's low in base compounds and alkaline. And so when you put acid from acid mine drainage into the waters of the boundary waters, the pH drops quickly and aquatic life dies. Aquatic life as we know it. The boundary waters is 24% water. So to say we want your deep pockets so you can fix it when you're all done doesn't really fix it when they're all done. It cannot be fixed. It's a very unusual place. Mm -hmm. And the only way to achieve our policy objective of keeping this as a pristine wilderness and keeping the water quality utterly clean is to say no to mining in the upstream waters, the watershed of the boundary waters. It really is the only scientific and policy answer to the problem. And the perfect answer for that question, Becky. Thank you very much on that. Becky Rom is the national chair for Save the Boundary Waters. Uh, if people, I mean, obviously, once again, the fight's, you know, not over. We want to preserve this. We want more people, and we clearly need to educate some more people, as I said. Well, no, I don't think this is how it works. Uh, so, we, obviously, your message is still relevant, and in, in and making a donation to be part of your organization is still very relevant. So, you know, if people would like to get more information about you, make a donation, become part of your group, how do they do that? They should go to our website, savetheboundarywaters.org. We run uh, a very large national campaign, more than 400 businesses, conservation groups, and hunting and fishing groups belong to our coalition. Uh, But we we started the coalition, we run the coalition, and and the home place for this big effort is savetheboundarywaters.org. So uh, do get information from our website. Become a supporter of our organization. We have our big annual Boundary Waters Gala at the Nicollet Island Pavilion on Wednesday, September 20th. We're thanking the Forest Service for being such a great partner in protecting the Boundary Waters. So do think about coming to our gala. And you can find out information about the gala on our website. 
SaveTheBoundaryWaters.org, SaveTheBoundaryWaters.org. I will post a link to it on all the social media sites later on. Uh, Becky Rom, the national chair for Save the Boundary Waters. Becky, congratulations on the win. A lot of hard work by you and your crew. Congratulations on that. And thank you very much for, for, for doing everything you're doing to save northern Minnesota. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate being on your program. Always. Anytime you want to come back, by all means. Becky Rom, Save the Boundary Waters. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. I kind of set that question up for her at the end there because I wanted her basically say, no, you can't, because that's one of the things that, that I've heard people say as well. And as a matter of fact, and I'm going to tell you, when I first started learning about this 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 whole issue, I, I kind of was of the mindset, well, well, if we force them to clean it up, would they even do it? And they probably would. And then they basically try to buy their way out of it after the fact. And so I, I kind of stopped that because that was the the logical thing, they, they, that even if we did, they would sue us and probably the Supreme Court would overturn and say, well, you can't put that kind of legislation in there. Sorry, I know they polluted everything, but you got to clean it up yourself. You shouldn't have trusted them, that sort of thing. And so, you know, it, it, the reality is, is this, there is no option here. If you want the Boundary Waters to stay pristine, if you want Voyagers to stay pristine, if you want uh, Quetico uh, on the other side in Canada to stay clean, you need, you can't have this mining there. You just can't have this mining there. And I mean, there is, what was the story? I was, there, there, there's a story out in regards to the watering of crops out in, in Western Minnesota. And it was, this is a New York Times story uh, the drought has gripped Minnesota in the summer of 2021 when the worst on record day after day, blazing sun shoveled down. Basically, the farmers had no other option. They cranked up their powerful irrigation wells, and they basically started going way over their water requirements for that time. Uh, by turning on the taps of the depths of the drought, uh, the uh, you know Artie Offit and other farmers in the state where thousands of wells irrigate potatoes and other well uh, water-intensive crops like corn, soybeans, and sugar beets, they blew through their limits designed to protect aquifers and supply drinking water to millions of people. They knowingly did this. The, the, the call is coming from inside the own house in this time. The farmers, including Offit, who is the largest one in the state, basically blasted through their water. They didn't care. It worsened, uh, it significantly worsened the drought effects exposed how dependent much of the state has become on aquifers that are fragile and awfully poorly understood. Um, in Minnesota, watershed started to dry out as the heavy irrigation in 2021 lowered aquifer levels. Trout streams warmed when huge wells siphoned away the cooler underground water that normally fed the streams. Scientists said threatening fish populations. And in parts of Minnesota, people reported backyard wells drying up, sometimes leaving kitchen faucets to cough and sputter as though they were gasping. Officials in Warren, Minnesota, partly surrounded by sugar beet farms, had to physically lower the pump in the town's well by 63 feet in order to keep providing drinking water to more than 1,500 residents, including those in a hospital and nursing home. One older woman outside of Warren said the only way she could get water after her own well went dry was to drive her riding mower to a neighbor's house to fill up water bottles. State officials wound up suspending four irrigation permits in the area. In Bacchus, Mike Tauber, whose forested land abuts potato fields affiliated with Offit, was shocked to find dried up exposed banks along the pond so big he nicknamed it Super Pond. It was the northwestern part of the state. Members of the White Earth Nation worried the farmers' irrigation wells were draining culturally significant bodies of water. 
I understand farmers have got to make a living too, but at the same time, they've got to take other human beings into consideration, said Trevor Milbert of Eagle Bend, who sometimes drove his pregnant wife and toddler to his parents' house for showers and for, for water. That's not, we're not talking some third world country. That's in Minnesota right now. So just remember this. There are a lot of people out there that they just do not care about you and will screw over the state of Minnesota if they can. Hour two up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Thursday. Matt and Brett here today. Pardon me a quick second, Brett. I got to just finish out this reply in a tweet. Which, by the way, Twitter has become an absolute cesspool in the last, like, week. Just been mad. Um, some guy named Toel Nemesis. Your reading comprehension isn't very good, LOL. Let me just respond here, eh? No. Um, the... One second here. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, no, I, I seem to get it. The... Um, the, you know, I, I, you're a guy with less than 200 followers and you're paying, buying a blue check mark from a billionaire for validation. Your perception of reality needs to be called into question. All right, there you go. Thank you. I think solve that problem. 952 946 9529 9526 So I want to, uh, we got to get an update on this, this story. Remember the, the nephew that seems to have been involved in this break in in Golden Valley? Oh yeah, yeah. With the dogs, uh, he's got. He's yeah. A teenager stands charged in connection with the armed home invasion of the Golden Valley home, which valuables, sports car, and eight pricey puppies were stolen. While one of them has since been reunited with the mother, Jahan Lynch, eighteen of Robbinsdale, is charged with first degree aggravated robbery and connected with a holdup on August twenty sixth at the home of his aunt. A warrant out of Hennepin County has been issued for the arrest of Lynch. I don't think Thanksgiving's going to be the same this year. I just, I don't think it's going to be the same. Uh, who is the first of the four suspected bandits, bandits, I say, to be charged stemming from the robbery at the home of 2600 block of Medicine Lake Road. Robbery victim uh, Janelle Harden told the Star Tribune on Thursday that a 10-week-old male from the litter of Merle American bully puppies. They're very cute. Have you seen these pups? The pictures of them. Oh, I'm guessing they're ten weeks old. Oh, I mean, they're they're, they're, there's no such thing as an ugly puppy at ten well. weeks old. <laughs> you say, <"All> right. <laughs> I've seen a few that are like, really. <laughs> uh, but you see, what they win you over with is their personality. I mean, dog personalities, because I just like you, and so even you can be a not the prettiest puppy, but you still are going to be loved because you just they, that's what they get. Their puppies are so good. I love doggies. Uh, the 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 puppy there. Uh, the litter of Merle American bully puppies was spotted at a youth football game last week out in Maple Grove. Okay. So one of the puppies was seen. Harden said she contacted with the person who had her pup and he was cooperative. He gave the dog up. So basically the guy realized he got played and was carrying a stolen puppy. And so basically returned it. Good on you. All my best. I, and, and I, with all, I have zero you know, ill wishes for the guy that had the dog because that's what a decent pe- person would do. If they they had the the dog and they realized, oh, my God, this was stolen, get the dog back. And then go find the people that sold it to you and get the money back from them. How's that happening sound pretty insane. That's good she got the puppy back. Well, yeah, she got one happen. of them. Yeah. yeah, she got one of them. She said, Maple Grove police kept the puppy for several days to verify ownership before the little guy was reunited with its mom. And then immediately engaged in a vigorous game of keep away with a raggedy Jew toy. Oh, boy. He's always having fun. As for the other seven puppies... 
Harden says she has a lead on one of them from someone who has sent her photos and wants money for its return. Really? Why don't we send the freaking Golden Valley police over there to confiscate stolen goods? Because that's what that is. It doesn't look too healthy, she says. He wants me to give him $600. Harden says she's resisting being held up for ransom. I don't blame you. Well, I don't know. Why aren't the police going over there? They know who has this and the person, you know, go and knock on the door and say, no, you've got stolen goods. Give us. It's ours. They'll hold it for three days and then they'll determine whose the ownership is. Um, I'm not doubt to get anybody in trouble who purchased the puppies, says Harden, who's gotten word that the puppies were sold in North and South Minneapolis. I need my dogs back. They're going to die. They don't have their shots. They need their mother because it is too early to pull the dogs away. Puppies that young, you don't want to pull them away from their mom too early. Harden said she and uh, her wife feel betrayed by Lynch, who is the nephew of her wife, Danny Schwab. Lynch said, uh, Harden said Lynch orchestrated the whole thing. Jahan knows everything that's in the house. Everything the others did was on Jahan's orders. They didn't duct take, uh, they didn't duct take us up. Jahan did. He was the, he, he did the aggressing. So, dude, I don't know what you thought was going to happen, but you're going to jail because you're an absolute jackass of a human being. Who, who does that? I mean, okay. Fine. I'll, I'll, I'm going to presume you're on, you know, you're on, you know, fentanyl or meth or, you know, some sort of hard drug that basically is making it difficult for you. I'll, I'll give you that. Still, though, man, stealing people's puppies, stealing people's dogs, that's just cold. That is just cold. And, you know, the fact that you sold them to people who seem to be even worse... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, God, I mean, trying to blackmail the original owner back. I mean, I'm sorry. Go, go get, send the police out to go get the dogs. I mean, that's stolen material. I mean, it's stolen, stolen goods, isn't it? Yeah, there's got to be something more to that. That seems pretty cut and dry that you should be able to send the police out there and recover your stolen puppy. It'd be no different if someone, you know, stole a big screen TV from you or something yeah, like that. And you yeah. can prove it was yours. Yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's a shame, but this guy needs to go to jail for a while. I and mean, just the, the mere fact that he, you know, he clearly robbed them. Did he think he was going to get away with this? Because he clearly robbed them with the idea that somehow he was going to, there was going to be some kind of payday here. Was he, did he think he was going to be rolling down the streets of Minneapolis, St. Paul? Yeah, he's going to jail for a while. I mean, he has to. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Um, there is, it is amazing to me. I, I, I'm still on the SRO subject, man, the, uh, the school resource officer subject. Because there's a humdinger of a fact here that, once again, as I report how crappy the news media is doing their job, I saw this number and immediately said, what? I'll get to that in a second. First of all, can I say that every Republican who says that we need to keep a resource officer says so under an argument of an incident where once again, the law states if there is bodily harm, death, a crime happening, the police can use whatever hold, any maneuver, anything. There is nothing stopping them. I had this one woman who said, I was a teacher. Oh, I bet you were a freaking delight. I was a teacher. And when the six-year-old is slapping me, 
Well, if it's six-year-old slapping you, then their school resource officer should take that child out of the school and they should be sent home and talk to mom if they're actually physically assaulting the teacher. I mean, it's, it, you know, you, you can't expect any teacher. I mean, and, and once again, this law does not forbid this. That's the thing that's crazy about these Republican arguments. There's like, well, there could be someone stabbed. Well, no, if there's someone stabbed, the police officer can use anything in their, their, their golf bag to stop it. There's, there's a fight going on. Once again, the, the police officer can do anything they want to to stop it. There's a crime that's being happening. They can do anything they want to to stop it. So stop lying. Can you guys just stop lying with this whole idea that, that basically you have to create non-existent problems for you to, to act as if you're on the side of, of, of the right here? All this law does is say that a police officer cannot use unnecessary force without reason. And to see the police officers go crazy over this and see Republicans saying, no, a cop should be able to smack around a kid at any point. Think about this for a second. Think about what the Republicans, they're saying that a 13-year-old kid, if a cop thinks they should clock him, that, that should, the police should be able to do it. And hey, if the cop was wrong, I think that, that you know, the kid, the 13-year-old needs to learn how to shake hands and let bygones be bygones. Come on, man. And I'll go back to what I said earlier this week when I had the, the teacher that wrote that said out in the suburban schools, there isn't the there aren't these problems because the basically the cops are always concerned on whether or not that student they're about to pummel actually has a parent with a lawyer on speed dial. And all this law does is basically give every kid that same advantage that the officer can't just because they got a hunch or their gut tells them that something's going on, they can't go up there and you know, frisk down a kid or, you know, choke hold a kid or drag a kid down to the office, which by the way happens. I, I said this yesterday, how many cases I have, have I heard of, of kids being unreasonably searched, seized, you know, grabbing them, being restrained, being forced to empty pockets when they haven't done anything wrong, being frisked up against the wall when they haven't done anything wrong. There is a problem here that the DFL is trying to fix. Now, there is a lot of, of, you know, Republicans out there screaming, we need to have a special session. The Democrats, the DFL has finally chimed back in. Uh, this is a House and Senate House members uh, stated uh, uh, standby law limiting use of physical holds in schools. Good for you. Earlier in the year, the legislature passed the education policy bill which the governor signed into law. The K-12 education bill includes a provision prohibiting all school staff, including SROs, from inflicting any form of physical holding that restricts or impairs a pupil's ability to breathe, restricts or impairs the pupil's ability to communicate distress, places pressure or weight on the pupil's head, throat, torso, neck, chest, lungs, sternum, diaphragm, back, and or abdomen, or results in straddling a pupil's torso unless it is to prevent bodily harm or death. So once again... They can do all this stuff. If there's a fight going on or if someone's threatening to kill someone or if there's a kid slashing at a, a teacher or something like that, they can still do all this stuff. They just can't do it unless there is cause to do it. Every child deserves a safe environment to learn and grow. That's why the Minnesota legislature passed a bipartisan bill to ensure that all school staff, including school resource officers, do not use certain dangerous physical holds, including prone restraints and physical holds that impair a child's ability to breathe or communicate distress unless it is to prevent bodily harm or death. 
which once again, every example every Republican puts forward isn't forbidden. Every one of them is already still covered under this law. This is just a cop can't walk through and start smacking around kids just because they want to smack around some kids. I want to show them who's boss. That's just that. Um, this has been the law for students on special education for more than a decade, and now it applies to all students, which is another point. That's another point someone brought up to me. Special ed kids have already had these rules in place for 10 years. Are the Republicans saying, no, those rules need to be rescinded? That if there's a special ed kid who's basically having a problem, that a cop should go over there and put them on the ground face down and drive their knee into their back? I, I don't know if that's a good idea. The law complements other uh, measures passed this year to support students in all learning, mental health, conflict resolution, and academic excellence, including increased funding for additional school counselors, uh, restorative justice to, re to resolve disputes, ending the practice of exclusionary discipline, increased literacy supports, free meals for kids, as well as indigenous ethnic studies, education, housing supports, and more. So, and this is signed for basically about 40% of the D DFL legislature has signed this bill. This, there's a reason why this bill exists. It's not trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. It's trying to solve a problem that indeed does exist. And the fact that all the, the, the Republicans and the cops are basically saying, you can't do this, tells you that problem does exist. So this is a bit of an issue. It's a, it's a slippery slope. But needless to say is I completely disagree. I have yet to hear they'll say, well, the language is vague. Well, tell us exactly how the language needs to be changed. Well, that's not for us to discuss now. We need to discuss that in committee. No, they, what they want is to act as if there's a massive problem which they have not vocalized. Which is, and let's just call it what it is. They want police to be able to, you know, do anything they want to, to any kid at any point and have no consequences for that. And if you're a parent, I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine your kid, imagine your kid's a good kid and you're saying to yourself, ah, my kid's not going to get in trouble. Okay, fine. What happens when one day all of a sudden you find out your kid was hauled into the, the principal's office and forced to dump their purse or their bag or empty their pockets as a cop basically held them by the neck and arm and said, empty them. And they found nothing. What would you do then? Would you be okay with, with this? Or would you say, well, you know, even though my daughter or my son was emotionally scarred by this moment, you know, I get what the cop was trying to do. Do you? This is just, like I said, this is the least amount of accountability we could put into place. And yet it seems like for the Republicans and for the cops, it is you know, too much. How dare you not allow us to throw a kid on the ground, jump on their back and hold them down to where they cannot breathe if we just feel like it. Now, I'm going to take a break. When I do come back, there's a different story that appears in the Minnesota Reformer, which has one statistic, which when I get there, you'll know. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm about to point out the fact that this is even more of a ludicrous argument when you realize how many schools this really actually does affect. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So I, I want to there there I want to give once again Minnesota Reformer a lot of credit here because they're asking the question that no one else seems to ask, and that is: Do police officers, also known as resource officers or school resource officers or SROs, in schools make students safer? All right, that's a that's a legit question. A forthcoming paper by researchers at the State University of New York and the RAND Corporation explores this question using the best available data to date. They find evidence that the presence of an SRO leads to a reduction in some violent incidences at school, but that relatively modest reduction comes at a steep cost. A massive increase in suspensions, expulsions, and referrals to the criminal justice system, actions that can be ruinous to a student's life. So once again, sure, SROs do a modest amount of reduction of violent incidences, but the trade-off is a massive increase of suspensions. Why? Because you have an SRO walking through the school going, you're suspended. No, you're suspended. No, you're suspended. Expulsions, which thank God the SRO student can't do that, but they can, you know, recommend it. And then referrals to the criminal justice system, which that is definitely coming from the SRO. If you get, if you get out of line with me, I'll tell you what, I'm not just a, a security guard. I'm an actual cop. And if you give me any lip, guess what? You're going to jail. That's your trade-off. So it's not exactly a win-win situation here. There is definitely a dark side to the SRO problem. Teasing out the effects of school resource officers is a tricky problem. In Minnesota, for instance, they represent about 30% of all public schools. Whoa! Wait, what? Let me reread that line again. Teasing out the effects of school resource officers is a tricky problem. In Minnesota, for instance, they represented about 30% of all public schools. Not all schools. Not a majority of public schools. 30%. Okay. It's times like this when you realize how piss poor the media, news media has been at reporting that just makes you shake your head. Now, 30% of schools in, 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 in public schools in the state, 30%. We already know Minneapolis and St. Paul don't have SROs, so it doesn't mean that there aren't still 30% of the schools in the state, but the two largest cities in the state don't have SROs in their schools. But the second, third, and fourth, excuse me, the third, fourth, and fifth biggest schools, cities in the state do. That'd be Rochester, followed by Bloomington, followed by Duluth. All three of those cities still have their SROs in place. They didn't have any problem with this. Also, Minnetonka, fairly large suburb out in the west side. I do believe number 18 as far as the city size goes in the state. That as well. When you add up the population of these schools, of these communities, 125,000, 91,000, 86,000, actually 87,000, and 52,000, and you do the math, because math is fun, kids, Basically, that's 6.25% of the state population. Now, 
That's the best rate you're going to get because reality is there are more schools generally in larger, larger metro areas. So I'm going to guess the amount of schools is not 6.25 in that portion of the population, but probably closer to 8 or 9% of the state populations of schools are in Duluth, Rochester, Bloomington, Minnetonka. Which would mean only 20% of the schools in the state are affected by this SRO problem. And how many of those schools don't really have any crime? Let's let's count all the, the ones that do you have SROs out in the, you know, some small town school? Where, you know, hey, I know you do have problems out there. I know a lot of Republicans like to put forward the argument there's no crime or anything out there. There is. Lots of meth. Holy God. Lots of fentanyl. But you guys, you probably don't have too many problems. So where are the, I mean, this is a minor problem. Mike, and like I said, not the most scientific thing, but pretty close. I'm going to guess 20, maybe 21% of public schools have SROs. And I don't, and by the way, I can say this, Savage has uh, their SRO uh, still program in place. Where is Savage on this list? Uh, they show up here. Da, 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 da. Probably a little more than that. Oh, there they are. Number 30, 32,000. That's Savage. Savage kept theirs. Minnetonka kept theirs. Bloomington kept theirs. Duluth kept theirs. Rochester kept theirs. So I guarantee you we are getting down to not many not many communities are even having SROs. And once again, the problem here is with police who are saying they're not going to be SROs. Some of these school districts actually, I think, hire private security to be their SROs, which are not having the same problem that the police are having. Brooklyn Park, Plymouth, Woodbury, Lakeville, Blaine, Maple Grove, St. Cloud, Egan, Burnsville, Coon Rapids, Eden Prairie, Apple Valley, Edina, and St. Louis Park. Those are down through 20. How many of those school districts have SROs? Probably not many. And the reason why, because either they, a lot of them got rid of the SROs after George Floyd. This is a minor problem. This isn't something that's affecting the majority of the state in any capacity. That's not me saying that. That's math. If the Minnesota reformer story is correct, and I highly doubt they're wrong because those guys are, it's about 30%. So it's not even 30%. It's what, 28, 29%. Um, as a matter of fact, let me, let, me, let, me see, let me see this. There's a link that, that goes here that might give me this. What's the percentage that they have here listed? How many public schools have SROs in them? Uh, pardon me as I shuffle through my briefs. Um, it's 46 nationally of traditional public schools in the United States, but it's less than 30 here in, in Minnesota. So I'll see if I can find that during the commercial break, the exact number here. But this is something that's only affecting a handful of schools and the vast majority of schools that this is affecting probably don't have 
nearly the problems that are, are being implied, where there's the daily murders and the daily gang gang gauntlets that the, the students have to run down. Is that ha- is that really happening in Montrose? <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking of Montrose. <laughs> is that what life is like in the mean streets of Watertown? Oh, God. This is a okay, news media. How did you miss this? This is something that is affecting at worst, at worst, 20% of the public schools in the state, most of whom do not have a heavy duty crime problem. And every every example of what this law supposedly stops that the Republicans and the police put forward is 1000% fraudulent. How how do you how are you guys this bad at your job, man? Like I said, less than 30% of the school public schools in the state don't have SROs. When you factor in Rochester, Duluth, Minnetonka, Bloomington, Savage, the ones the school districts that have decided to keep their SROs in place, well, then you're down to about 20% of the schools, which is not nearly the majority, but if you talk to any Republican, every school's about to implode into a hellscape of dystopian zombie apocalypse future. No, it's not. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Why? Why has the media missed this point? That it's not every school. The argument the, the argument is being presented that every school in the state is in jeopardy. Only 30% of the schools in the state have SROs. And already at least 10% of them, by my guess, still have their SROs in place. And that's at least, it's probably closer to 15, 20%. Guys, you guys are just, you guys are just on the speed dial of the GOP nowadays, aren't you, news media in this town? You just They're just telling you what to say and think. You're not even doing... Do you guys know how to do basic freaking research? Because I do, and the, I, I'm stunned. I'm a chimp. <laughs> I'm a trained chimp. And I can look at these numbers and say, something's not right. And you guys are like, this is a major crisis. No, it's not. It's not. You're making it a major crisis because you're doing a crap-ass job at your job. Start doing some numbers. Start doing some math and start doing some research. And like I said, where's the story about, well, Rochester, Bloomington, and Duluth don't have any problem at all keeping their SROs. What's everyone else's problem? Oh, and I can mention the story from yesterday of the the the, the police officer who, who basically called this out and saying all this is is partisan hackery. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. man. 28% of public schools in the state of Minnesota, only 28, only 28% have an SRO. Half of those are in the metro area. Half of those are in outstate Minnesota, where I'm guessing the SRO basically sits there and says, I don't know, all day long. (laughs) But mine says, with with that 28%, minus Rochester, minus Duluth, minus Bloomington, minus Minnetonka, minus Savage, you're basically at less than 20%. Less than 20%. So if if every other SRO school, every single one of them, 
outside of Rochester, Bloomington, Duluth, Minnetonka, and Savage got rid of all their SROs, you're still looking at less than 20% of the public schools in the state. 20%. Less than. What? 18 19%? This is a major crisis, you say. This is every child's going to be dead tomorrow in school, you say. God, it, this this is the kind of stuff where I'm like, okay, don't you guys know how to do journalism anymore? Because this that's the first thing I saw. I was like, wait a minute here. 30, you know, less than 30%, which is 28%. But we already know that of the schools that have it, Bloomington, you know, Bloomington, Rochester, Duluth, Minnetonka, Savage, they've all got their SROs still in place. So what's the real number of affected students here? And, 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 and there's the real question for you. Do we just allow a cop to go in without cause, without justification, and violently hold down a student, a teenager, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old? Do we allow this when it's only this, – this would even – something that would apply is only in 18% of the school public schools in the state? And I don't – how many of those are elementary schools? How many of those – because I can't believe – I can't believe the knife fights are, you know, deep and hard within the uh, the elementary schools. <laughs> Your finger painting sucks. Down you go! <laughs> That's what – you know, as kindergarten has really kind of evolved, hasn't it? This isn't a problem, is it? And once again, the only problem that exists is the what could happen. Oh, let me tell you what's going to happen. You you don't allow a cop to basically throw a 13-year-old to the ground face down and hold him down whenever they want to. It, there's going to be a serial killers in every elementary school in the state. No, come on, man. Stop it. This is, okay, news media. Minnesota Reformer says about you know less than, uh, 30, less than 30%. The actual number is 28%. You can minus out those cities I've just said. How many how many schools are we talking here? And like I said, that's saying that every other school district has pulled their SROs, which we know is not true. This is probably maybe, maybe 10% of the public schools in the state where the SRO is, I'm not going to do this unless I can beat up on a kid. God, the fact that this has gotten this far is an embarrassment. The fact that this entire argument has gotten this far is an embarrassment. How many news journalists in this town, when they said, well, you know, hey, this is a big problem. So, well, how many schools have SROs? What's the percentage? Uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. No, what's the percentage? Well, it's 28%. Well, then minus Rochester, Duluth, Minnetonka, Bloomington, Savage. How many, what, what's the percentage after that? I, I don't know. It's a major problem. And they run from the room. Come on, guys. If I'm showing you up this bad, that's a bad, bad sign, man. If I am showing you up this bad, that is a bad, bad sign. So once again, before I get, I'll go back to the story here that the Minnesota reformer is, thank God, doing do SROs actually make us safer? Once again, 
recapping what they what we read before, there is a slight reduction in some violent some violent incidents at school. But the trade-off is a massive increase in suspensions, expulsions, and referrals to the criminal justice system that can basically ruin kids' lives. Districts that opt out to employ these officers may be different in fundamental ways from districts that don't. They may have some more problems with poverty or violence, for instance. Simply looking at student outcomes in SRO schools versus non-SRO schools is likely to confuse correlation with causation. The SUNY RAND study uh, sidesteps this problem by way of clever natural experiment. Police departments across the country can apply for federal funding to pay for putting officers in specific schools. Some of those applications are successful, while others aren't. By examining similar schools on either side of the funding cutoff, the researchers were able to eliminate the effects of con- uh, confunders like demographics and poverty. What was left in, ice- in isolation was an estimate of how the new SRO program changed the school. For a hypothetical school of 1,000 students, hiring an SRO leads to six fewer violent in-school incidents, fights, robberies, or threats of violence. That works to about a 30% decline Okay, for a 1,000-person school. That reduction also comes with a steep increase in severe disciplinary action against students. There are 24 additional suspensions, one or two more expulsions, and two more referrals to the criminal justice systems. Those increases up to 90% over the base level. So the trade-off here is you get, yes, what was the number here? A 30% decline, which equals out to six fewer violent in-school incidences, but the disciplinary action handed out by cops on students is far more restrictive. It's much more of a police state. 24 additional suspensions, one or two more expulsions, and two or more referrals to the criminal justice systems, 90% over the baseline. It is far more aggressive in these schools. The kids suspended, expelled, or arrested are far less likely to graduate and more likely to have further run-ins with criminal justice system as the authors write in a recent opinion piece. Like I said before, I think part of the reason why they're doing this, especially in the lower income and high minority schools, is they're basically sending the message, we can do this to you at any time. <sighs> that may seem like the system working inten- uh, as intended by removing problematic students from the school environment, but Lucy Sorensen, the lead author of the study, cautions that that's not necessarily the case. The steep rise in suspensions is particularly concerning, she said, because those typically arise from any number of minor infractions that shouldn't fall under an SRO's purview. SROs ideally should not. So in, so basically what they're saying is the SRO should not be the final wherewithal when it comes to the decision making as far as discipline of a student. But yet it sounds like in a lot of schools, they are indeed that the, the SRO comes in and say, you need to suspend this kid. They're like, OK, you're suspended. You need to expel this kid. All right, you're expelled. SROs should, uh, ideally should not get involved with minor disciplinary matters with students, she said in an email. They are only supposed to deal with law enforcement-related or serious delinquency in crimes. However, the fact that they increase discipline for minor incidents means that they are contributing to a more punitive school climate overall and not fulfilling appropriate roles and responsibilities. She also notes the lack of evidence in the existing literature that suspending or expelling problem students has any beneficial effect on other pupils. The students suspended or expelled, on the other hand, face real, well-documented threats of their own future stability. They lose classroom time, become more likely to drop out, and are more likely to face a lifetime of criminal justice system involvement. I want to make sure we understand this. This dramatic increase in suspensions 
is only because the SRO is there, not necessarily because the student has done something more serious. It's not like just where the SROs are, all the problem kids are. There are problem kids in the other schools without SROs, and they have 90% fewer suspensions. And so your chance of being able to fix this problem changes dramatically. Like I said, exceptional work here from the Minnesota Reformer on this. The lose classroom time, become more likely to drop out, and more likely to face a lifetime of criminal justice system involvement, the so-called school-to-prison pipeline that disproportionately affects black students. Like I said... That seems to be the whole point. How are we supposed to get those people under line if I can't start riding on them like a, like a horse when they're 13 years old in a school? And like I said, the ludicrous nature of this whole thing is that if the kid is violent, if they're taking swinging haymakers, if they've pulled a knife, there is no restrictions at all on a cop. None. None. Not at all. They can do whatever they want to take that kid down. This is only about basically taking unjustified kids that do, that they're using unjustified violence on a kid whenever they want to. Sorensen says that ultimately she does not believe the reduction of violent SROs bring with is worth the steep cost of increased disciplinary consequences for students. I do not think that SROs are particularly sound investments from either a cost-benefit perspective or an equity perspective. She said there are alternate school safety approaches out there, such as restorative justice practices or mental health supports that do not produce as many negative spillovers onto students. Agreed. Now, I want to remind everybody of my I lost it moment there a little bit ago. We are talking about, at best, 10 to 15% of the public schools in the state having SROs. Somehow, someway, 85% of the the school population of the state either has SROs, have no problem following these new rules, or don't have SROs at all. As a matter of fact, only 28% of all schools in the state have an SRO, which means uh, 72% of the schools in the state do not have an SRO. And they're not having these problems. This stinks of racism, doesn't it? Just it just it's wafting all around this issue. Sure, it's not materialized so bluntly as having the racist cop come out there or the racist Republican saying, we got to keep those people in line. But there's a lot that's not being said here that's kind of being said here. Because as I said with the teacher that got in touch with me, they don't have this problem because that cop that's in those wealthy white suburban school districts knows if they just start making kids empty pockets there, that they could lose their badge, they could be in court, they could get sued in a civil trial. And so they don't want anything of that. So where is this really a crime for them? You know as well as I do. It's the inner city schools. It's the poorer schools. It's the minority schools. That's where they want to still have this. Because as much as we try to keep denying it, the reality is is we have an insanely racist policing system that always looks for the the Dante rights. I'm pulling him over because of his air freshener. (laughs) End up killing the guy. 
You can't start this level of intimidation unless you start it young. And I'm not saying that you allow kids that have problems to go unfocused. I think the increase in mental health counselors for students is a huge step forward because there's a lot of kids that need mental health mental health services and the only way they're going to be able to get them is if they're applied offered to them in school and so I think that's a good step but every solution for the for the republicans and for the police on this is it's a nail that needs a hammer even when it's not even a freaking nail and like I said, I just, this entire argument, they're not talking about their white, lily white suburban schools or rural schools. They're talking about the schools where there's the higher minority population, the poorer kids, the inner city schools, the Native American schools. That's what they're talking about. But the reality is I just expose this once again. SROs don't generally make things better. And at best, at best, at best, news media, at best, we're talking 10 to 15% of the public schools in the state, and that's it. The other 80, 85 to 90% of them don't have a problem. So my guess is you're all going to shut up about it now because now the truth is coming out that this is just, this is a red herring. This is a, this is a fake news. This is Republicans trying to create hay with an issue that just doesn't freaking exist. That, 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 that rings true with the dog whistles with their supporters because we'll keep those people in line. And as opposed to saying, hey, maybe we were wrong about this, you'll, you'll run to something else and ignore the story. Shame on all of you. Shame on the Republicans. Shame on these police officers that basically want to create a police state in these schools. And shame on the news media for, for having me do your damn job for you. What's wrong with you? 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. By the way, if you want another sign that this is this whole SRO thing is just a Republican ploy, the school districts that are pulling their SRO people are generally conservative areas. Brainerd just voted to pull their SROs. Really, Brainerd? Okay. You know, I got big problems up there. I, 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 we see you. We see you. Brainerd's a hellscape, apparently. So Brainerd, I wouldn't put my kid in a Brainerd school. It sounds like hell up there. I mean, my God. You, you know, you might want to put your kid in a Minneapolis-St. Paul school. It's much safer. It sounds. <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on up in Brainerd. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Hey, wait. Anyway, we'll director. We'll we'll change direction here. Seniors using Medicare benefits seeking a pickleball game, laps in the pool, or walk around on the treadmill. Now at Lifetime Fitness, we'll have fewer hours to do so. The Chanhassen-based fitness chain revealed its plan to affected members in recent weeks, upsetting some who don't like the disruption. Gym industry experts said while it's a bit unusual, Lifetime's decision reflects the growing challenge fitness centers face in trying to accommodate discount memberships while over-preserving their bottom line. Currently, seniors enrolled in Medicare health insurance plans don't face time limitations and can visit any time, Lifetime Club of their liking without paying individually. But starting in January, Lifetime will restrict Medicare members to visiting only between 9.30 and 3 p.m. on weekdays after 2 p.m. on Saturdays, and there won't be restrictions on Sundays. Oh, how, how benevolent of you. 
Lifetime said the changes came after recent negotiations between the national chain and the Medicare fitness program administrators about the rate of the programs will pay for fitness company on behalf of the Medicare members. The rate Medicare providers pay is significantly discounted from the standard membership, which can go as high as $299 a month. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Okay, so I got to tell you the truth. When I first saw this story, the first thing I said is, and, and this is just because fit, Lifetime Fitness has a very distinct image they like to put forward. Basically, suburban mom yoga pants, you know, doing, you know, drinking green things and physically fit. And I'm here for the pickleball is not exactly Lifetime Fitness. And so the first thing I thought of was, is this having to do with the fact that they just don't like the image of the elderly people? <laughs> is this, I'm just asking, I'm not saying it is. I'm just, is that, it's like, you know, what's all with all the fossils, you know, uh, you know, get these guys out of here, you know, get, get, get some more suburban moms in here. You know, that's what we need. Uh, it, it, apparently not. And I can understand. I mean, you're a premium, you know, health insurance or health club, um, gym facility, but how is this not elderly discrimination? I mean, I mean, I understand you can negotiate, but I mean, doesn't this sound like elderly discrimination? I mean, I mean, I'm I'm asking more just in the, I don't know it. It's it, I don't know the nuances of like this. Yeah, at the very least, it's it might not be illegal, but it's certainly not the best image you you might be putting out. Saying uh, <laughs> well, it depends on what your image is, man. I, mean, I guess you, as you, you said, like, yeah. If you're, I work, you know, I, I work out at the Y. I work out the Y. It's it's a lot of seniors. There are some young people there. It's an economic way to do it. I have no problem with that. You know, they're not about to violate where their bread's buttered there. So, you know, they're not going to put those like this. But you've got a, a gym facility that's known for its youthful, updated imagery. Hey, we're doing, a, we're doing a step class. Look, we're doing bendy, wendy yoga. I'm here to walk around the track and talk about my days of knitting. That's not exactly the image I think they're looking for. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I, you know, do, do they care? I mean, that's the question. Do they care? If, if a bunch of the elderly members left, would they really care anyway? I, I don't know. I'm going to guess that some are, though. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. So, and, and like I said, I have no, no, no reason to doubt Lifetime's story on this one. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a good one. Until then, see ya.